We are going to be in John chapter 1 today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance we now have to look into your word. And Lord, it's a passage that many of us have read a lot, and yet it's also a passage that has some things for us to look at and understand and to see. And so I ask for your wisdom and insight as we dig into the passage this morning, and may we May we be able to see with new eyes some things that you want us to learn, some things you want us to apply. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. And if you haven't had a chance to, Jonathan and Alessa are here. Goldsmith, well, they're over there, hiding over here. Um, they're visiting with us, and so have a chance to say hi to them before they take off and go back to the, where they're serving in, in a church. I uh, had a friend many years ago who worked um, at the Broadmoor Hotel in Colorado Springs. It's a very, very fancy hotel. It's the kind of hotel that you couldn't get anything. You had to have a bellhop get everything for you. And that was his job. He was a bellhop. And he said he loved it. Everybody on staff loved it when the Christmas trees all went up. Because the minute the Christmas trees went up in the lobby and everywhere else around the hotel, suddenly all of the tips doubled and tripled and quadrupled because uh, just at the time of the year people were just more generous if the trees and Christmas lights were all up. And um, on one level, I, I think about that and I, and I kind of chuckle and I think, well, I'm, I'm glad that for him, for his sake, that that's what took place. But isn't it interesting that in our culture, in our culture, that that is what culturally happens. Um, all of a sudden we feel more generous and and many times, I think, people would think about Christmas as a time of giving and all this kind of, especially now, we've gotten further and further away from, from biblical Christianity and any kind of a biblical perspective for culture. I think it's just, you know, well, yeah, it's a time for giving, and so people think about the giving of things. And yet I think we, we as a culture, have lost sight of the fact that it was God's gift to us that makes us think about those things about giving. And so just kind of was thinking that through this week and, and, and thinking about all that that means. And, and on another level, too, the commercialization of, of Christmas, which is something that uh, many of us lament and, and wish wasn't the case. And yet it's, again, it's out there. There's a, there's a sense of, okay, Christmas is a time for being generous. It's a time to, to give. Now, they don't trace that back to because God gave his best gift to us. We put that together in, in, in our families and church, and, and yet that um, it does kind of overflow a little bit still, not as much as it used to, but it still kind of does overflow. Um, and so I thought today maybe we take just one more look at the Christmas story through uh, the chapter of 1st John, through John chapter 1, and just to kind of look at some things. And, and, and one of the questions that, that uh, I think I would want to ask if I was talking with someone who didn't really have a clue is, well, who do you think Jesus was? And what do you think um, he did? And, and why do you think uh, all this was so important? And, and just kind of talk through some of those kinds of things. And so I want to just kind of do a little bit of that this morning as we, as we look at John chapter 1 together. <clears throat> um, one of the first questions I would ask is, um, so who do you think Jesus was? Or who do you think Jesus is? Um, was he just a, a rabbi? Was he a good man? Uh, was he, you know, Mary's son? What, how do you, what do you see? What do you understand? Who, how do you see Jesus? And, and um, of course, we see him as God's unique one and only son. And yet, that's something that a lot of people don't, don't see anymore. And so we point pe- people in that direction and try to have those conversations with them. Um, there are a lot of people who call... 
uh, themselves Christians, and um, they think that Jesus is maybe a great man, or maybe even the greatest man that ever lived, and he was just a man. Uh, some say that he was man at his best, and, and these people would be people who might call themselves Christians in the sense of being in a Christian country, but certainly not believers in Jesus Christ. The Bible clearly says that the birth of Jesus was different than any other birth. Totally different than Lincoln or Churchill or Martin Luther King. When Jesus was born, this is a whole different thing. This is God taking on human form and being born. And so, <clears throat> a couple, couple things here. First, Jesus' birth was not just important because of who he turned out to be. Okay, he, he was the Christ, the Messiah. But his birth was also important because of where he came from. So stop and think about that. Who he turned out to be. Well, yeah, Jesus the Messiah, the King of Kings. But where he came from, he came from heaven and transcended all of that and took on human form. And Philippians 2, of course, gives us all that wonderful stuff about that. How he humbled himself and became obedient and took on the form of a servant and, and eventually became obedient to death. So as we're looking at all this today, I want to jump right into chapter 1 of John. And John says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. And so you start out with that whole idea of the Word, and and, and the Word was with God. And and He was with God before all of creation, before time started, before anything existed that we see and know in in our universe Jesus was there with God in that in that setting, um, and He was the Word, and He was with God, and He was was God, very clearly stated in in uh, in the verses here as well. Um, and so, as we read these things and we think these things through, sometimes um, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was. We we get a little bit twisted around, and maybe we, maybe we even wonder what it means. And yet, the, it, if you keep reading in the context. We discover in John 1.14 that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so that narrows it down. If you get, even if you get twisted around with the Word is this and, and, and you're wondering who the Word is, well, John 14, or 1.14 makes it a whole lot more clear. The Word became flesh, took on human form. The Word lived among us. The Word took up residence here on earth. That's the whole idea that's there. And we have seen His glory. John says we've seen the glory of this one who came. And, and the Word came from the Father. In, in verse 14, the Word came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And I, and I love that phrase, full of grace and truth. He, this is how God sent His Son, full of grace and full of truth. Uh, dropping down to verse 17, the law was given through Moses. Okay, so the law, Old Testament law was given by God through Moses to the people and it was given for a lot of reasons. One of them was to help them constantly remember they needed God. They needed a Savior. It says the law was given through Moses. Grace and and truth came through Jesus Christ. So on the one end they're saying we, we needed the law to help us see that we needed a Savior. Jesus Christ came to be that Savior. He was the Savior that we were waiting for. And so you've got the law was given through Moses, but the grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And so 
Um, that whole idea of grace and truth, grace and truth. Jesus came with grace and with truth. And, and I love that because the reality is, if I think if all I had was the truth about who I am and how awful I was, and there was no grace, I would wonder, what, what hope is there for me? And yet when we realize He came with truth, absolutely, this is who you are, Mark. You are lost in your sin and you are headed for an eternal damnation. But there's grace. So there's truth and there's grace. And they came with Jesus Christ. So the word is Jesus Christ. That's the first thing that we see as we're, as we're moving through here. Um, if we're going to make that very, very clear, as you're looking through in the beginning was the word, the word was, and then it's, you know, you could actually just substitute the word Jesus there. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus is that statement there. So verse 4 then again, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. I love love these two verses. In, in him was life. So life, all of life is found in Christ himself. Without Christ, there is no life. Uh, and then not only that, but in, in him is life, but in there's also light. He's the light of all men. And verse 5 is really a, a great verse. Look at what it says. The, life shine, the light shines in the darkness. But the darkness has not understood it. Um, that's one translation of it. Another translation, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. And I love the way it says that, because the reality is, um, the light wins. You've got darkness, but the light wins. The light wins. Um, matter of fact, you could put it this way, that the true life and light are found only in Jesus. And, and here's the nature of light. The nature of light is to shine into darkness. That's the nature of light. Give it one more there. Thanks, Tim. The nature of light is to shine. That's what it's supposed to do. Light is has a purpose, and that's to shine into the darkness. Uh, the second thing, light invades the dominion of darkness. And just shining, I mean, it's, it's taking darkness by storm. That's the kind of thought that's here. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it, can never stand up against it. Um, the darkness can never, the third one is the darkness can never overpower the light. Darkness can never overpower the light. And it's interesting, I've thought of that. If you've ever been in a, in a I've, I've been in a couple of situations where there's absolute blackness. Uh, one is when I worked in a dark room and I worked in a photography shop for a while. And this was way back when you literally had to be in totally pitch black rooms to do some of the things that you had to do. And, uh, you know, you're sitting there, your eyes are straining, you're trying to see, you can't see anything at all. And all it takes is a like five-watt bulb to make that room seem like it is flooded with light. Tiny, tiny little bulb. Same thing if you're ever in, like, a Merrimack Caverns or something, like that, and turn off the lights, and then just one tiny little bulb. And all of a sudden you go, wow, look at this huge room. But you don't know anything in the dark. Well, that's the same thing here. The light invades the darkness. And the light conquers the darkness. Verses 6 and 9 talk to us a little bit about John the Baptist, and his purpose was to point people to the true light. And then we get to verse 10. It says, He was in the world, speaking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So you've got Jesus the Creator, and he's here, and he's come, and he's in the world, and and he's interacting with people and teaching and yet, they didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. That's verse seven, verse 11. So he comes to his world, and the world 
is still fallen and broken. And he, and he comes to his own people, the people of Israel, and, and they reject him. And then look at verse 12, though. What a wonderful verse. Yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What an amazing thing. Uh, For those who believe and those who receive, you know, here it is. I offer you forgiveness and salvation. You receive it. You welcome that. and, And you believe. And here you go. You have the right to become a child of God. So there's some things that are very clear here. I'm just kind of punch these out really quickly. Um, it's clear that Jesus Christ existed before all time. He was there when time started. Okay, So time started at a certain point. The universe started at a certain point when God said, let there be. And, and, and Jesus Christ existed before any of that. Okay, Second thing. Jesus was and is God and continues to be God. He always was, He is, and He will continue. The third one, He created all things. Verse 3 says, nothing was made apart from Him. Nothing was made without Him being involved in that process. So He was before all time, He was and is God, and He created all things. The next one, jumping down to the next one, would be He is the source of, of life, we saw that in verse four, and and he, Jesus is the light that conquers the darkness. Verse five, and then all who believe in him become his children. So the, those are some of the things that we see as we're going through um, this first <clears throat> chapter of John. Now this leads us to the next question, if you will: If Jesus is God, then why would God come to Earth? If you want to ask it that way. Um, and the answer, if you want to just kind of start with the answer, he came to show his love for us. Jesus is God's object lesson, if you will. Um, if you ever did show and tell where you'd stand up and talk about something, show what it, what it was that you were going to uh, show your classroom. We did this when I was in grade school back in the, about 1800-something. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, Jesus is God's show and tell. Jesus is there for us to see and understand and to know because God made him known. John 3:16 and 17 say for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Uh, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn it but to save the world through him. And I I love that. I love John 3:16 but for me 16 17 and 18 I, I really appreciate it even more. Because, yes, God loved the world and sent His Son, but the point and the reason He sent Him was never condemnation. We're already under condemnation, so He came to take us away from that if we turn to Him. And that's the, that's the beauty and the wonder of the gospel. We stand condemned already, and Jesus says, you don't have to be. <laughs> Come, believe, I welcome you. And, and, and I love I love that about the gospel. I love the fact that God loved us enough to send His Son, but His Son didn't come in order to to pound and to uh, proclaim judgment and to condemn. He came to proclaim the gospel. Uh, just three things that really quickly. God loved us, and that's the whole world. And because He loved us, He gave His Son for us uh, as a sacrifice. 
And um, he sent Jesus to save, not to condemn. That's one of my favorite verses to share with people who, who think that the, the Bible is judgmental and the Christians are judgmental. I'll say, you know what? The judgment, you're already under that. I and mean, that's not me or anybody. You, you know, I'm born judged just like you, under condemnation. But God didn't want you to stay there. And that's why he offers salvation. Salvation is offered freely. You don't have to stay condemned. That's your choice if you choose that. But that isn't what God wants for you. He wants salvation. That's why he's offered his son, Jesus, in this way. So Jesus came so that we would be able to have that opportunity to to be forgiven. And, And as we talk with friends and neighbors and family members who are Maybe don't have a sense of this yet. It's, it's one of those wonderful things we can pray that God would give us a chance to share with them. And it isn't about condemnation. It's about forgiveness. It's about salvation. It's about being freed from the condemnation under which we are. And, and you know, at some time, all of us have been involved in things like lying or cheating or hurting people uh, with our words or our actions. All of us have, have done things that... Um, we would really not want anybody to know about. We wouldn't want to share. All of us have hated and disliked. Um, I don't know about you, but I have panicked and not trusted when I should have. I've rationalized my own sin and replaced it, what I was doing with uh, God's standards with my own personal preferences. Uh, and I've enjoyed the sinful sort of things of this world, and maybe you have too. And the wonder in all of that is all of that is covered by grace when we come and we say, Lord God, I, I need your forgiveness. Um, we know these things are true so that we may feel God. We know it, sometimes we don't feel it. And yet the reality is we need to go back to what it says. What does the word say? First John 4.10 says, This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and He showed that love when He sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Think about that. Think about the sacrificial system. Think about the fact that Jesus was the perfect Lamb of God. The very last sacrifice of atonement that was ever going to be made was Jesus. And He died. So that we would not have to. He died to show his love for us. He died so that we could come to him and say, I believe. Thank you for your forgiveness to me. So Jesus is that living illustration, that living object lesson of the love of God. Uh, so many times I've been talking, I'll talk with someone and they'll say, you know what, but I'm, I'm just struggling. There's so many bad things out there and so many things are happening. I wonder where God is. And I don't know if he really loves me. I say, just stop for a second. And go back to Calvary. <laughs> Just look at Calvary. What does Calvary tell you about God's love for you? And, and I, that's where I have to go back many times. I have to go back to, okay, yeah, right now it feels like it's all jumbled up and I can't, I don't have any answers and it just seems like, uh, it seems like evil's winning and it seems like, and, and again, I, I have to say seems like because I'm not seeing the reality until I stop and say, God, Help me to remember the cross. Help me to remember that you came. Help me to remember that you have already conquered the darkness. The time's coming when it will all be made right. But for now, I can continue to distrust you. So this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for us. 
Again, this is Jesus is God's living illustration. Um, just bullet pointer, if you want. Just He came to demonstrate his love for us. That's one of the things that we see as a reason why he came. He came to demonstrate his love for us. And where do we see that? Well, John, I'm sorry, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One of my favorite verses, God demonstrates, God shows, God puts on display his love. In what way? By sacrificing his son to pay for the sins of the world. So that anyone who wants to be out from under the condemnation, all they've got to do is say, I believe, I I believe you did that for me. Thank you for the forgiveness you've offered. So God demonstrates his love by proving, um, showing his love through his son, everyone to see. And then God sent his son as a sacrifice. So he demonstrates his love, proves his love, shows his love um, in that ultimate sacrifice. And when we get discouraged or distraught or we wonder why there's no answers, again, I, I go back over and over and over and over. The cross is the proof of God's love for me. Always I go back there. Always I go back there because without the cross, I'm not forgiven. Without the cross, I'm lost. But we have the cross. We have the forgiveness. And so God demonstrates his love for us um, in that. So Jesus paid the price. Uh, He paid the price for my wrong behavior, for yours, for my rebellion and yours, for our sinful foolishness, for our guilt over the things that we've done or said. Jesus paid the price for all that. Matter of fact, there's a there's an old song that I I, I really like, <clears throat> and um, yeah, let's go ahead and just sing it. <laughs> Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson he washed it white as snow. It's one of my grandma's favorite songs. And with good reason, Jesus did pay it all. What do we take away from all of this today? God became a man and he loves us, and so now what? What's the next step? Well, we can live for him. That's what he wants us to do. Um, and, and that's... Um, we can give our lives to Him. We, we, we belong to Him, and now we can give ourselves to Him in service and in any way that He wants us to, to, to serve Him. And, and it's interesting, if you, if you go back and you're thinking about sharing with someone, what does it mean to become a, a Christian? How does that happen? Well, in Acts 16, if you remember, Paul and Silas are in prison, and of course the, the earthquake comes along and shakes them loose, and the Philippian jailer is going to kill himself, and Paul says, don't do that. And then what does he say? What must I do to be saved? And Paul's answer, still my favorite, 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And I love that. John 1.12, Jesus said the same, or John, uh, John 1.12 says the same thing. To all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And it's that same word in both places in John, in Acts 16 and John 12. Believe. Believe is the answer. I believe that Jesus came, that he did this for me, and I receive that from him, that forgiveness that he offers me for freely. Um, God calls us to act on these things. Let me just uh, share real quickly these things. Um, God calls us to act on it. What does that mean? It means we need to admit that we need a Savior. So if someone is, has not accepted Christ, that's where we want to take them. You need to realize that you need a Savior. Secondly, believe Jesus is that Savior, and then put trust and confidence only in Him. And then the next thing I want to just kind of very quickly go through. So to believe and put our confidence in Him means we stop trying to earn our own salvation. And there are people who are still desperately thinking, they're just good enough, it'll be okay. No, we can never be good enough. Stop following our own way. Stop trying to say, okay, my life works without God. I don't really need Him. I'm doing good. No, actually you're not. And then look only to Jesus. He is the only hope. He is the answer that that we have. <clears throat> John 4.11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us so, we also ought to love one another. So we can love one another. That's, that's one of the things that, um, that we can do in response to what God has done for us. <clears throat> I, I mentioned uh, show and tell a while ago. And, um, you know, I was fourth grade where I first, first time I found out about that. You know, came back from Mexico and here I am in fourth grade and they're jumping up and saying stuff and I, nobody ever told me about what this was. So it took me a while to figure it out. But once I did, and then I joined in because, you know, if I'm talking, then the teacher's not talking, right? It doesn't take long to figure that out. So the longer I talk and the longer others talk, the less we have to listen to her. But um, <clears throat> I, I have this in my office right on my desk, just a little simple plaque. It says, Christ is all. Um, I have it because this used to be my grandfather's. And it sat on his desk in the factory that he owned. And so everybody that walked through the door to talk to the boss would see a little sign that said, Christ is all. And <clears throat> you know, many times he had opportunities to share what that meant with people. What it meant for, <clears throat> what it meant for my grandpa was when he accepted Christ, his life changed. I mean dramatically, because he was into all kinds of different things, got saved, and now he was a totally different person. And he realized that all of his life needed to be lived for Christ. His life in his factory, his life at home, his life anywhere that he was in his group of friends, he needed to demonstrate and show Christ is all. And that was what he was trying to do with the things that he, that he lived from that point on. And so as we head into this next year, uh, as we head into what's coming down the road, and quite honestly, we don't have a clue. We just don't. Uh, this last two years, none of it went the way I thought it was going to go. <laughs> I, I just I look back on it and I say, boy, I was wrong about so many different things. But one thing we can always remember is that Christmas is our show and tell. We get to show others the love of Jesus and remind others and it's commercialized that's okay we can still show and prove that Jesus Christ 
is the Lord and that we can celebrate him at Christmas because of that. Let's just uh, close in prayer, and then we'll kind of move into our transition. If you don't have a little cup and wafer, feel free to go get that, and um, we'll move into our time of celebrating the Lord's Supper. Lord, thank you that um, you came and that you lived and that you died. Thank you that you gave us the right to become sons and daughters of yours, and that it was at a high cost, such a high price. Lord, help me, help each of us to be willing to be your object lesson, your show and tell to the world. May people look at us and say, that's what the Christian is supposed to be like, then I want to be like that. Help us to live that kind of a life, Lord, with your help and with your grace. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen.